Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 139. Today is the 3rd of January and the year is 2020. My guest for today is Melissa Jane Madera. She is co-owner of Catland Books in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York. She is also a, a practitioner of magic and witchcraft, and she has a vastly extensive knowledge of those things. I've been looking for someone for a long time now to talk about the occult, and so I'm super grateful uh, that I was able to have her because she knows so much and she was able to educate me. I am a novice and a layman. I don't know much about it, but I think I was able to hold my own a bit in this conversation. I want to apologize to all of you and say that I goofed in the beginning and like the first five five or so minutes that we were talking, it wasn't recording. I pressed record. I guess I didn't press it far enough in and it wasn't recording. So I'll catch you up a bit. You know, I do my normal introductions and then we got to the fact that there are so many different uh, magic and witchcraft traditions around the world. We talked about the Yoruba in... Uh, Western Africa and Nigeria, and also how that crosses over into the Caribbean, specifically in Cuba. And you see the influences of that on Santeria. Uh, there's Nordic traditions. When I was walking around the shop in Bushwick, I saw you know Italian cooking spells. Um, there was something from every region of the world, which is really cool to see. And so we talked about how they are all kind of linked and bind together by some traditional beliefs um, or some beliefs held in common, I should say, uh, while having their own uh, belief systems. Uh, some are tied into religion, some are not. Uh, some have strict beliefs, some do not. So we're talking about a vast range of things here. And early in life for Melissa, she had some influences uh in the fact that her mother was a medium and her mother could feel what had happened in people's lives and what had happened with their ancestors who had passed on. She gave the analogy of like Long Island medium and also her house, which we also get into, uh, but was haunted by spirits. And so these are things that, although she was brought up in a Catholic tradition and went through confirmation and was confirmed, uh, some things that influenced her in the sense that it opened her up to the the fact that there might be more outside of, you know, a Christian, uh, Christian tradition. So that's basically where we were at uh, when we started to, to talk in this conversation. I apologize that those few minutes were cut off, but we righted the course. I also want to say uh, thank you to Melissa and to Catland for allowing me to host this conversation. They have a really cool event space that we recorded in. And, you know, being someone without an extensive knowledge of this stuff, I could have represented it really poorly, but I think I did a good job and I'm, I'm happy that they trusted in me to do that. So please go to the show notes for this episode and you will find a link to uh, the publication that Melissa will talk about in this episode, to Melissa's Instagram account, and to the uh, website and Instagram account for Catland Books. This wasn't a long voyage today, folks. I only had to go about a mile to record this one. Um, but super grateful to them that we were able to get this done. 
Uh, also go to the show notes for this episode and you will see a link to my Patreon account. If you become a Patreon subscriber, you'll get some cool stuff. You'll get a t-shirt um, and that will go a long way to keeping these cool episodes coming. All right, folks, without further ado, here is my conversation with Melissa. What we were talking about was was mom and her medium abilities. Was your house also haunted when you were a kid? Yeah, I wrote one article about this one Halloween, and you know it felt a little risky because I feel like you know witchcraft is one thing, and then like once we start edging into like the paranormal, that's that's where things get a little cheesy and where people can get delegitimized pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, it was it was so intense that um, like my friends wouldn't sleep over. My best friend in the world had weird experiences there of like sleep paralysis and all this. Like when my parents were out of town, like boys wouldn't stay past sundown, shit like that. Yeah, so. <laughs> And it's it's funny because both of those things, uh, so sleep paralysis, like I had a partner once who would have sleep paralysis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time I was like, wow, that sounds kind of crazy. And there must be something that's like, uh, there must be a scientific basis to this. Because she would say like, well, when I have it, there's a figure. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, maybe out of fear, I would always chalk that up to like, oh, there's no way there's a figure in here because I didn't want there to be a figure in the yeah. room that I'm sleeping in. Um, but, yeah, I guess... Is there a connection then between, because we had mentioned sort of the Christian tradition, is there a connection between like mysticism and witchcraft and traditional religions? Can they all sort of be explained by one belief system? Not maybe not explained by one belief system, but they all pull on really similar technology, mm. uh, and they all use similar tactics. And so, as I've become, you know, more uh, adept and more knowledgeable with occultism, uh, Catholicism has become very interesting to me because now I'm looking at it in this uh. new light, and I'm examining the rituals, you know, sort of layered on top of the rituals that I do here and the rituals I've read about in different traditions, and it, it's much more fascinating to me because now I understand the technology. Yeah. And to me, I, I look at uh, Christianity as like a necromancy cult. Um, Whoa, can you explain? Because, sure. because uh, of the I mean, death. they literally like revive the spirit of a dead guy to help them talk to God. And let's say I was like, you know, here's this historical corn king from ancient Ukraine and we celebrate this massive feast every week where we all get together and we revive his spirit and we use his spirit to talk to God. I mean, the technology is similar. <laughs> they wow. literally eat the body and drink the blood. <laughs> So, okay, that's fascinating. Um, You know, for 20-year-old stoners everywhere, like watching Zeitgeist, the first one, if you ever saw that. Everyone's like, whoa. Right, is (laughs) entirely illuminating. But the first third of that is about how, like, the major world religions today are essentially picking from, you know, uh, Egyptian and Zoroastrianism and, like, ancient belief systems. Oh, it goes way better. Okay, so then, I mean, I guess this would be to your own personal beliefs, um, considering the diversity of of options there are out there, but do you think that there's a 
there is a creation story. Um, there and, are so many. Um, well, I guess one that you think is um, closest to what potentially could be the truth. No, I don't. I don't have that information yet. Or, or rather, those mysteries are still being revealed to me. That's oh. the new thing I say instead of I don't know. Um, <laughs> because it sounds fancier. Um, I'm actually reading a lot right now on witchcraft and spirituality and classical antiquity and how much we have lost and how we're just sort of like analyzing fragments now to see what might have happened. I'm very interested in that like human origin, like religious moment. Um, and, and I don't have that information yet, but it's something I'm working on. Okay. I find so, it fascinating. <laughs> so then also like you have a, a whole section in, um, in the shop on like... Devil beliefs, right? Like, oh, sure. uh, so is there? <laughs> I guess there. The belief is that there's also there's negative spirits, or I don't know if you call them gods. Mm. Um, you can use spirits if you're not sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, so I would describe myself as Satanist, as a Satanist, but I don't think there's anything negative about that. I don't think there's anything inherently malicious about that. Uh, and the way in which I'm a Satanist would probably surprise a lot of people. Um, to me, like when we think about the devil, we're thinking about things that run uh, contrary to the human experience or, or to uh, like human existence. Uh, and on this planet, what that means is wilderness, and what that means is like the rest of the wild world. Mm. Um, and I, in my practice, Satan or the devil or whatever words you want to use is a manifestation of that, which runs counter to, you know, human development. Whoa. So for me, Satanism is about Satan as the wild adversary and not necessarily as like some like, you know, like murder god or something. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I just read this book. Um, it's, like, it's a really short book, but it's on, um, it's essentially psychology and it's, it's called Owning Your Own Shadow. And this guy wrote like a bunch Neat. of books. But it talks a lot about the fact how uh, this duality that we all have. Mm-hmm. To where if you're someone who's always like a goody-goody all the time, likely you're going to have to have some type of release from that. So those people become drinkers or gamblers or like that's a very simple, a simplified um, No, sure. Example. We all have the like the taboo desires and the dark part of the self. That's sort of something that's part of the human experience. Um, I talked a bit about that when I did an interview not long ago on why we watch horror movies and why horror Ooh. narratives are important to people. Okay. Because we live in this like scary society where we're not permitted to be scared. Like we can't act on that fear, but we live with it constantly. And, you know, placing that fear on something fictional is a way for us to actualize that. But, but yeah, uh, the more you learn about occultism and mysticism, and the more you get into this, the more you're exposed to, the less good and evil seem to matter, mm. uh, and the less that seems real. And it all just seems like phenomena, you know? Wow. Uh, yeah. And because and good and evil are also perspectives, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What's salvation to the man is damnation for the lamb. So, oh. yeah, I know I've got a lot of good little <laughs> bits like that that I've been rehearsing, but uh, but no, it's true. Um, and so, good and evil are perspectives in that way. Yeah, and your your movie analogy is perfect because in that book it talked about sort of creating ritual for yourself mm -hmm. so that you yeah you don't succumb to that other half and feel something impulsively that you have to do, but you ritualize it so you could get it out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of the ritual that we do is is about accessing those those deeply hidden and and deeply esoteric parts of the self and parts of the mind, uh, so that we can play with them and so that we can make them healthy and make them whole. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when you so when you were growing up, I'm, I'm assuming um, moms 
spirituality, if that's fair to say, um, and her ability to it, uh, maybe it's sense um, through her, her medium abilities. Uh, was this scary at all? Because it, yeah. it is, it's, I could see it's, it's certainly related to Christian traditions in a lot of senses. I mean, even thinking about like people speaking in tongues, but um, it's a break from it. Uh, I wonder like, I'm sure that influenced where you are today, but like how, how much did like fear play a part in that? I mean, it was definitely scary to watch my mom have those like intense mediumship experiences. Um, but it, it also became normalized for us. Like it, it was scary in the way that like, oh, now I can't think of a good metaphor, but um, it made me worried for her. Mm. Uh, the things she would tell me were frightening. Living in a haunted house was definitely scary. Um, but I don't remember it as being traumatic. And I don't remember the fear propelling me in one direction or another. I mean, you would think that after something like that, I would not want to touch this stuff, right. the, the occult stuff. That's what happened to my sister. Um, she had some scary experiences in our house growing up, and now she's, you know, Catholic. And um, I know she's not Jesuit anymore, but she's she's got some other belief systems now that are all uh, under the Catholic umbrella. Um, and she really shuns this stuff. Uh, she doesn't want to hear about it or talk about it or anything like that. Wow. Yeah. So I went sort of the other direction where I was just like, for me, when something scares me, I want to learn as much as I can about it so that I can be prepared. Okay. So, all right. I'm thinking about something, and I have this in my notes here. Uh, I am kind of terrified of the notion that somebody might be able to, if it's if this is the right terminology, like cast a spell or do something to me that I'm completely powerless against and have no knowledge of. Sure. I've had plenty of ex-boyfriends be afraid of that shit. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's a useful tool then. Um, Keeps them in line. No, I mean, I would never. Well, and so my business partner actually has something, you know, kind of nice to say about that, which is, you know, ignorance or fear of, about this stuff does not no inoculate you against it. Um, oh, shit. Yeah. So the only effective preparation about things that you're afraid of is to learn about them such that you know how to respond and react. God forbid you're in that situation. So my recommendation is if you're afraid of being cursed, you should probably learn a lot about how curses work. All right. You can know if one's been put on you and you know what to do about it. Wow. So, I mean, I asked this before. Um, and I said, can anyone be a... a, a can anyone practice this? So then can can anyone with the knowledge and correct materials cast a spell? Sure. If you wanted to read some books and, and curse me, you could. And, well, and that would be fine. And I know exactly what to do if that happens. Wow. Okay. So maybe, hopefully this isn't too much of a leap. Um, something else that is getting talked about a lot now in our culture uh, maybe this is cringy to put, I'll put it in quotes, but like as people become woke, right? As people are becoming more enlightened is the idea of consent. And I'm not just talking about in the sexual realm, but I think a good um, analogy is like when the Patriot Act passed, the NSA and the CIA had all this power to like see what we were reading, buying inter our internet searches. And people, a lot of people were like, whoa, you, I never said you could do that. That's uh -huh. for me. Is, is, in your practice and in your workshops, is there an idea about like consent? Because obviously someone's not going to consent to have a spell be cast on them. Sure. Uh, I bring that up a lot in classes and discussions when I talk about love magic. Um, oh. Yeah. Like a lot of people come to me in readings and come to me for consultations. Like I need this person to fall in love with me. And 
I, I always sort of explain like, A, that's very difficult to do if there's not a chance in hell in their, mi- in their mind. Second of all, like crossing someone's boundaries like that does not a healthy relationship make. Um, and so like if, if you form the relationship on the basis of crossing people's boundaries and distrust and, and manipulation, nothing healthy is going to come from that. Mm. Um, if it's someone who, you know, you're already, they, they sort of like you, but maybe they're being cautious or maybe, you know, and you just sort of want to endear them to you, that's, that's I think, a little bit healthier. But you're, so here's something I always tell people when we're doing witchcraft, you should decide in the beginning, before you do anything, what your boundaries and your beliefs are. And you should decide for yourself, this is too far for me, I'm not going to do that, and I think that this is okay, you know, in certain circumstances. And you will determine you know, what is valid for you in your practice and what is permitted. There is no, like, witchy judiciary system that's going to... There is no, like, rule of three it's going to come back at you. It, that's structured into some belief systems. Like, in Wicca, they believe that, and so that's part of oh. what they do. But for most of the rest of us, that's not the case. So deciding what your values are before you go into it is really important. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I also... Maybe some of these ideas are crazy. I really... Yeah, uh, no. I thank you for indulging me. Um, but I think about... With most things, and another book I'll bring up right now is a book called The Hidden Messages in Water, uh, related kind of the first book too, but there's a balance everywhere. So uh, very simple version is in a math equation uh, to solve for X, to solve for whatever, what you do to one side, you have to do the other, and it balances out. In, in nature, uh, water evaporates, but it goes up into the sky, and then it repeats the cycle. You burn energy it becomes carbon, like it, it doesn't just go away. I wonder, because you see this again sometimes in in fictionalized telling of the occult or witchcraft that in order to get something, I guess through a spell, you have to give, or like sort of the idea of like selling your soul to Satan to get your thing, right? Sure, it, that's why we have animal sacrifice. Okay, can we, so wow, all right, so. I don't do animal sacrifice. Um, but I'm not you, opposed to it though. Okay, so. I want to. I do want to talk about that because that also, if if like we can, for, for if you Santeria, want to. I mean, like, that was a big deal. I, you know, it came up in my Facebook memories today. Uh, the controversy with Azalea Banks, uh, how she was doing chicken sacrifices, and like Sia and a couple other musicians like sort of poo pooed it, and they were like, you know, that's mean to animals. And it, sure, like killing an animal's mean to that animal. Uh, if Azalea is fine with it, that's her metric that she decided. Those are her values, and so she's decided like this life is less significant than the work I have to do. Um, in my very wilderness-based tradition, that doesn't make sense. Um, and I've said this before, and I know it's a scary thing to say. And I, I, of course, I'm only talking about this in a theoretical way, but like in my practice, it makes much more sense to kill a person for witchcraft than it would for an animal, because I don't believe I have dominion over them. Holy shit. I'm never going to do that. Okay. Ever. <laughs> totally not something I'm going to do. Like um, checking, is there an exit here? Yeah, there are three <laughs> okay, uh, okay, in this okay. very fire-safe room. Um, but... Uh, but in my practice, I don't believe that I have dominion over the natural world. I don't believe that I'm more important than uh, a chicken or a frog or a dandelion. And so I don't believe in taking that stuff for my work. It's not object to me. I guess then, though, the idea of that, though, is that is the balancing force, the giving of that be, life? Um, plenty of people do witchcraft without uh, any kind of sacrifice like that. Um, another word you might want to use for sacrifice uh, in, in non-bloodshed ritual would be offering, where you burn incense. Or you leave out cakes or, you know, pour wine or even like uh, uh. throw a little blood into some water or something like that. You know, um, that, that is a part of a lot of magical technology. Not all of it, um, but, but 
there is an idea of balance. Um, and if you want to talk like about energetic balance, you mentioned energy being burned. Um, we know that that doesn't go anywhere. When you think about like trauma and the cycle of abuse, we know that those emotions, when when used, just sort of recycle mm. until they're healed and resolved. Dealt with, yeah. yeah. Wow, that, that's interesting too. Like you mentioned, like cakes, because I've spent a significant amount of time um, within like Eastern cultures, right in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. and on altars in the home of Buddhists and Hindus, you'll always see like cookies and cakes and things like yeah, that. On I the used shrine. to live in North India, and I worked with Tibetan Buddhists up there, so it's usually incense and cookies and things like that. Yeah. Holy shit! Can we talk about that for sure, a second? Yeah, I was eighteen and uh, like working through some intense trauma. And I was also just like a w- real like weird little hippie back then. And I was like, I want to go to India, have a spiritual experience. And I guess I sort of did. Um, but I was working with Tibetan refugees who were just coming over from China. Wow. So they were sneaking through the mountains. Most of them were being reintroduced to food. Most of them mostly came just to learn English, which they're not permitted to do up there. So I was teaching people English and I was helping to feed, helping to clothe and all that. Um, It was a month long program and then I elected to stay and get an apartment in Dharamshala after that. And I was working in like a chai shop. Um, uh, If anyone's ever been to Dharamshala, it's the chai shop on Tipa Road. There's only one and uh, on the way to the waterfall. And I stayed for like an extra month and then monsoon season hit. And I was like, this blows. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I called up my mom and I was like, help me. I want to go home. <laughs> wow. But yeah, it was, it was a neat experience. Do you have any uh, experience, I guess, with uh, belief systems and practices in other places around the world? Um, I know there's a, there's a lot of like Nordic traditions, right? Sure. I don't have a lot of experience with that. I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, okay. I have a lot of friends who are Norse pagans. Uh, my personal experience is what I learned in India. So that's sort of, you know, Eastern. Uh, I'm from Croatia. And so a lot of Eastern European folk magic uh, informs a lot of what I do and Eastern European folklore. Um, and then a lot of American traditional folk magic. So what you'd see in Appalachia or the American South, that's a, a huge part of what I practice because the other side of my family is Pennsylvania Dutch. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Another connection to the East is that, um, you know, there are medicinal practices that have been practiced for a very long time mm-hmm. that, you know, weren't backed by like big pharma, right? Because they couldn't monetize uh-huh. it. Um, but now science is starting to show that a lot of these things are really legitimate. How important to your practice is the use of uh, plants and herbs and things like that? Uh, For me personally, it's huge. Uh, Because my practice is so wilderness-based and so earth-based, I'm also a trained herbalist. Uh, And so I'm I'm about to do a a four-week, like... uh, Herbalism in magic and medicine uh, intensive here at Catland, and so that's a huge part of what I do. Whoa. I believe that the two technologies are the same technology. Um, yeah. So pretty big for me. Um, I'm like our gardener here and our plant person here. That's that's my whole world. <laughs> well, yeah. So if it's cool to read this quote, because you talked about one that I'm going to butcher this really badly. That's read. fine. Everyone who's ever quoted me has butchered it. Okay. Well, the quote I'll get right, the pronunciation I'll butcher, but uh, plant of the day is Selenicerius grandiflorus. Oh yeah, queen of the night cactus. <laughs> yeah, okay. So We have one in the shop right now. I just bought it for my business partner for Christmas. Whoa. Uh, okay, so, for, so from your quote for people, a rare Mexican cactus that blooms one, uh, one night every three to four years mm-hmm. and only for a few hours. One legend about the night blooming 
Sirius states that those who watch the flower bloom go insane. It is also used as an aphrodisiac. Well, so uh, that uh, legend uh, I pulled from, have you seen True Detective season one? Hell yeah. The most important piece of occult media to come out in the last 10 years. (laughs) The only time I've seen my religious beliefs put on television, it was awesome. Um, But so their opening song is uh, Far From Any Road by The Handsome Family. They wrote that song about the Queen of the Night Cactus. And yeah, and their song is about when you stumble upon it in the wild and you watch it bloom in the wild, you go insane. I've fact-checked that lore against a couple of other like herbalists I know and they were probably talking about a different night-blooming plant, which is Datura. Um, probably Datura uh, righty, which is the one that grows out there. Uh, and that's a night-blooming flower with this like very sweet jasmine scent, but it blooms every night. It's not super rare. Um, and it has a lot of lore associated with madness and insanity. So they were probably talking about that one. So Queen of the Night Cactus doesn't have too much of that lore actually attached to it. Um, it's still pretty neat. <laughs> wow. It's still a dope plant. I thought that sounded so wild. Um, yeah. How how important does um, does astrology play into, I guess, your specific beliefs? Um, astrology is huge. It helps me with my timing of things. Okay. Helps me schedule and plan because it's so regular. It's like a clockwork in the heavens, sort of. Uh, and so that's how you know when like the influences are correct or when the time is right to do something. You're a Gemini? Yeah. Okay, I thought I'm a, I saw I'm a that. cursed double, triple Gemini. It's a fucking nightmare to be me. I, I, <laughs> I have the most cursed placements. I am a Gemini as well. Um, Do you know your big three? I should. So like third episode I ever did on here, like three years ago, I went to somebody to read my fortune and we did it on here. Um, For I, your birth chart? Yeah. Cool. Yes. Um, I don't remember. (laughs) But uh, in the very, like, I guess, classical sense of it, I'm uh, the definition of a Gemini. Makes sense that you do podcasts. Yeah. You're focused on communication and communicating ideas. That makes sense. That's that's what she said as well, actually. Okay. That's a big Gemini thing. Um, Yeah, I'm a Gemini sun, Libra moon, Gemini rising, and I also have my Venus in Gemini. So uh, all six of us are deeply troubled. Um, (laughs) I mean, last night was supposed to be Saturn in... Ah, I'm going to kill this, but I saw La Bruja, actually. Uh, Saturn's uh, in Capricorn right now. And, and it's going to be in Capricorn for a while, and it's it's been tough for a lot of people. So, so maybe you know this. I, last night was supposed to be a night when uh, spirits are supposed to be active in contacting living beings. Huh. I did have weird dreams all night. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so did my partner. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't. I'm not super up to date on every astrological thing that happens. There's uh, millions. Um, And I'm mostly just looking for to help the timing of my work and to make sure influences are correct. Um, I don't do any sort of devotional work with the planets because I don't believe that's how that works. Um, Plenty of people I know do, and that's absolutely valid. Um, But yeah, um, if there was a night that spirits are supposed to be more active, I'd buy that. Cool. Sure. Are you able to read tarot cards? Yeah. Yeah, my mom was a card reader and I've been reading for, uh, I don't keep track, a long time. I know that's a service that people come and pay for. Is that something we could do today or no? Um... Could be. Um, is it cool if I'm not in the mood? Yeah, it did. I mean, that's, that's why <laughs> I, usually, I say like... I usually do it for pay, uh, and it, it really makes me tired. Uh, my mom always Whoa. said the same thing, and I never believed her, but she always says that when she's done with it, she's like wiped out. During October, I was the witch-in-residence at the James Hotel in the city, and I think my longest stretch was like 10 hours of straight tarot reading. Whoa. And by the end of it, my brain was noodles. Okay, uh, that's, that's <laughs> totally fair. Can, can you... Um, 
Maybe though, can you just talk to me about like how what, tarot works? Well, yeah. When you're doing that, like, are you in, are you just reading the cards, or can you like see in your head, um, what their future looks like? I guess. Um. So most of the time, we're not talking about the future. Um, oh. For me, uh, tarot is prosthetic intuition. So when your intuition is broken, store bought is fine, like Ina Garten says. Oh. Um, and so we can use it. Uh, to replace broken intuition, which almost every single person living in the modern world has. Um, and so it can help us inform decisions. It can help us plan. It can help us, you know, see if someone's being honest, those kinds of things. It can also help tell us what's coming. I do plenty of timeline spreads for people. Um, I'm not really visualizing a lot because usually when I'm giving a tarot reading, I'm in trance. Um, I've got a bunch of things that I do to help set up the space for that. And then people don't realize that when I'm shuffling the cards and they're talking to me about their problems, um, I'm going into trance. It's sort of the same thing as someone like holding a, a pendulum or a clock in front of their face to go into hypnosis. When I shuffle the cards, I go into trance and then I don't remember the reading usually. Wow. Yeah. And then I, I know you said it's not necessarily to predict the future, but you said that uh, you can sort of see or you can predict where that. things are sure. going. That's not what I think its primary purpose is. Uh, I think that's probably the most like exciting for a lot of people, but a lot of my clients don't actually want to know what the future holds. And so we mentioned earlier, we were talking about consent. Yeah. Um, I always bring up, you know, when people ask a very emotionally charged question, like, you know, is my marriage going to last? I always stop them and I'm like, are you sure you want that information? Like, what if the answer is no? Is that something you want to know right now? And usually they back up. Wow. All right, so... Uh, Connection to True Detective season one, like time is a flat circle. Oh, yeah. um, is there is the belief with that though then that things are preordained or like they've already happened or that they're all happening at once? I think is what the, the yeah, show's what the show is saying exactly. Yeah, because when you look at time from a fourth dimensional perspective, you'd see it flattened and you'd see all of us just sort of moving about on on tra like tracks like carts on a track, uh, and then at some point maybe it ends or maybe I it doesn't. I guess when I what I mean is um, with tarot, mm -hmm. um, if someone were to consent and, and you were oh, you mean predicting what, what, their trajectory. Can we change the future? Well, I guess, yeah, right? So um, the way that I look at it when I pull future cards is I say, should things continue the exact way that they're going now with no interruptions, what can we expect? Oh. So I'm very deliberate about how I ask questions in tarot. Uh, I don't. Leave, I, I'm very specific in my questions, and I always tell my clients the right key is. Uh, I mean, the right question is a key to deeper understanding. You have to ask the right questions. You know, will I ever get married? The answer will be yes because there's a million possible futures. You know what I mean? Um, but should things continue the way that they are with absolutely no changes, will I get married? That might give you a more accurate. Ah, answer. so that's then a really useful tool yeah. for. I like precision. With my answers, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, what is an inhuman spirit? Because I've seen you <laughs> say that. Yes. So inhuman spirits are going to be um, lots of different things. Animal spirits, you're aware. Anyone who's ever loved a dog knows that that's a thing that exists. Um, plant spirits are another thing. We see that through all different shaman shamanistic traditions. Um, and we now actually have major researchers like Dr. Monica Gagliano and a bunch of other people like putting that towards hard Western science, which is neat. Uh, we also have something called um, genius loci, which is spirits of the land or spirits of like the immediate environment. Um, and so those are larger land spirits and things like that. There's also, if you believe that the planets have spirits, those would be inhuman as well. Um, and then folklore and mythology gives us things like nymphs and sprites and, you know, 
even when you think about the Greek and Roman goddesses uh, and gods, those were never human. They were never material or mortal. And so I would consider that an inhuman spirit too. Uh, when you say human spirits, that's in my head spirits of people who have passed on. Maybe Catholic saints would fall into that category as well because they physically lived. Um, but yeah, human spirits is actually a very narrow category. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What about the use of, and I know I'm like firing things at you, so. No, this is neat. I like this. These are actually very good questions. I oh. expected much less of you. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I, I know I look like uh, Joe anybody, so. Um, what about the use of things like, so uh, psychedelics or other drugs? So like uh, like psilocybin mushrooms, uh, people that, so DMT, dimethyltryptamine, a lot of people have a common experience of like seeing the same thing mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, like the elves or whatever. Uh, people yeah. have also said they've seen that on um, the psilocybin trip or mm-hmm. anyone that's gone like way too deep on inedible. Uh, is, is there a use? For these types of tools with sure, with um, the occult. so a big part of my plant practice is poisonous plants, and a lot of poisonous plants. When we say poison, uh, we're talking about um, not the plant itself, but the dose. So um, every plant in there has active compounds. When given too much, you die. That's what makes something a poison. But in lower doses, usually they're psychotropic, um, and so a lot of them can be used to open us up that way. Um, probably the best metaphor I can give you or the best like description of that technology for like why people have the same experience on psychedelics is that it provides easier access to a mechanism we all have called second sight. Second sight is being able to see the subtle worlds that are around us, sort of the non-material things, to be able to interact with that, whether it's visually or, or otherwise. Um, every mystical tradition that I know of relies on some sort of second sight. And that could be like my mom's mediumship. It could be maybe you see spirits in the forest. Maybe you think you can talk to plants. Whatever that is, it's all sort of part of the same thing. And when we take psychedelics, that can make that mechanism more available to us. Um, It's sort of another mechanism like the intuitive that we talked about earlier, where if yours isn't working, tarot can help. So if your second sight is not working, uh, psychedelics can help. Wow. Something when I had my little flub and we weren't recording, uh, you mentioned your mom uh, performing exorcisms uh, for neighbors. Yeah. (laughs) When I was a kid, uh, I was freaking terrified of everything. But I was terrified of The Exorcist and of Poltergeist. Um, Those were fucked up movies, man. Yeah, and like (laughs) still hold up. I can tell you, or Scariest Exorcism if you want. I would love that. And like, did you see these? Uh, so this one happened while I was at school, but I saw my mom when I came home and I, that's enough validation for me. It was actually on our house. Um, so my senior year in high school, this weird thing started happening. I had, I get really high fevers. Like 104 is pretty normal for me. I think my highest is 107. You die at 108. Um, it's just been since I was a little kid, I was really high fevers. And I hallucinate on my fevers too. Um, and so one night my mom's in the middle of the night, just giving me medicine, putting me back to bed. And uh, I'm looking into our hallway and this like dark inky blackness sort of starts to coalesce into something that's like vaguely humanoid. And it like lets itself in, like puts its hands on my door frame and goes like this and then sort of puddles down next to my bed and, and is waiting there. And I flip on my light and I scream for my mom and she comes running in and she says, you saw that shit too? And she saw it from her bedroom door. And ever since then, every night this thing would show up in the hallway and 
you know, we've got our ideas about what it might have been, nothing conclusive. Um, and so my mom decided to cleanse the house, um, assuming it might be tied to the bones of the building or, you know, not to our family in any type of way. So she, her method is um, she has a salt cleansing. She like washes everything in salt water, puts salt in all the corners of the house, lights a million fucking candles, and she does a bunch of, you know, her chanting and shit. And so she was doing this. It was probably like we had gone to school maybe noon uh, that day. And she says that while she was doing it, the TV flicks on to static and then turns off and she immediately starts projectile vomiting like all over the house. And then like so much so that she's weak and unable to continue. She tried it again the next day. Same thing happened. TV flicks on, goes to static and flicks off. So, uh, dude, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's that's her most fucked up one. After that one, we called in a priest from my school, actually. I went to Catholic school. And uh, he gave us some blessed crosses and stuff. And that seemed to make it a little bit easier. Um, but it never really went away. And if you read the article that I wrote about it, I actually broke back into that house after we sold it because I was feeling nostalgic uh, after my father passed. And uh, so I just like had a screwdriver and like popped open a window. And breaking and entering is a very useful well, skill. Well, someone have. lives there. Uh, no, 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 oh, it was abandoned. So okay, okay. he sold the house and it was abandoned for about five years. And during that time, I was like, I just want to be in my childhood bedroom again. And With this possible so demon. So I fall into our sun porch and uh, there's a bunch of windows that look into the living room and I look up and my friends who were with me are sort of following through the window, but I'm really the only one in the house at that point. And it looked like I had interrupted a dinner party. Like there were just so many non-material people there. And one of them was that towering inky black thing. And we went in anyway. It all felt very familiar. And so even when something's terrifying, if it's a familiar terror, it's not so bad. Is the idea with an exorcism that this is a purely evil entity or something that like is trapped and can't cross over the boundary of like Yeah, I think that's more accurate because I've performed exorcisms for like human spirits that are just stuck or, and and being stuck is troublesome. Um, one of my friends moved into Keith Haring's old apartment on Bowery and, uh, she was having some pretty intense sleep paralysis. All of her vintage, uh, like technology, like old record players and all the stuff that was from that time period would turn on in the middle of the night, but none of the new technology would. That is terrifying. Yeah. And so she had me come in and do a thing and I did it and no problems ever again. Um, wow. I recognize that to a lot of people, and maybe a lot's not fair, like this might sound impossible, um, like what we're talking about, because sure, they, they and don't... Sure, I get that it might be, seem kind of cheesy, uh, and, and that's valid, and that's why I don't normally talk about this stuff so much. However, it's something that we have documented in every civilization throughout history, every culture, every religion, and so something about it is part of the human experience. Um, yeah, I remember, like... Uh, I also was raised in a uh, Catholic tradition, it's the same as you, like was confirmed and all that. Um, What's your confirmation name? It's Matthew. I'm Elizabeth. Wow, look at that. <laughs> um, and it all, like basically like at that point, I was like, hey, wait a second. I don't know if I believe all this stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can remember being young, like I was a, a Cub Scout and then a Boy Scout. And most people know about like merit badges, but there were like other types of awards. I don't remember exactly what they were, but there was something where I had to go to like a religious class to get this award, this like medal or something. And the woman was like a, a mom of another scout. And you know, I didn't believe in ghosts or anything like that, other than my own superstitions, like I was super afraid of my basement and stuff like that. Uh, which now I'm like, oh my God, was it was there a spirit down there? Um, but she was talking to us one day and she was just like, Yeah, when my son was young, like he 
had a friend who was a ghost or something from another realm. And, it, and I was just like, oh, yeah, like, like thinking she's kidding. And she's like, no. She's like, we, like, he used to go out in the yard and he would talk to something all the time. And we thought it was like imaginary friend or whatever, like a little kid. But one day I saw him like rolling the ball behind the shed and I watched it like being thrown back to him. And I came outside and like it was just him. And I remember how jarring, because again, that probably sounds super cheesy. Most people are like, yeah, impossible. But this was an adult I really trusted, someone knowledgeable who was teaching me in a yeah. class. And I'm like, she's so sure of this. Yeah. And that was the first time I was ever like, huh, like maybe, maybe there is. Maybe real. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that's a connection to your story, but. No, that's, you know, I was actually talking about this uh, with my best friend while she was in town for the holidays and I, I didn't get a chance to go too deep into it with her. Um, but I remember having an imaginary friend as a kid and I described him to my family a million times as a rainbow dinosaur. And I, Whoa. you know, they even bought me stuffed animals of this <laughs> rainbow dinosaur. But when I remember the imaginary friend that I had in my head, it was a boy who was slightly older than me who had this like rainbow thing around him. Whoa. And when I remember- Like an aura? I, I don't know. Like just sort of ambiently rainbows around him. Uh, almost like an oil slick, sort of. Whoa. Like imagine being encased in an oil slick, something like that. And almost I don't know like where I got dinosaur from. Maybe because he was older, I don't know. But he, I was like eight and he was like 12 or 13. And I, I, when I remember playing with him, I remember playing with a boy who was slightly older than me. I don't remember playing with a rainbow dinosaur. And I don't know, it, you know, as you get older, you remember things. Um, it's just definitely as you get older and take more drugs, you remember things. Uh, <laughs> um, I've been doing a lot of experimentations in the past year with psychedelics, and I've noticed that it's been opening up a lot of, like, hidden memories that maybe were repressed or maybe that I had forgotten. Um, and that wow. was one of them. And so who knows what the fuck that was. Uh, Could have been, like, dead boy from the neighborhood. My house was over 100 years old, so I wouldn't put it past it. But Wow. Yeah. I, I preface this conversation again in, in uh, apologies to all the Voyagers out there uh, for cutting that off, but uh, that there's been a revival, at least in popular culture, of uh, like witch imagery as a what I interpret as like a tool of empowerment. Um, and so I want to get on that in a second, but sure. when I think about like large global issues, right? We could take anything. So like right now, Australia is fucking burning. Yeah. Um, or uh, we might be on the, uh, I don't know. I'm not intelligent enough to like know if the decision yesterday to take out this Iranian leader was ultimately a good thing or a bad thing. Like I have to be far more informed to know because uh, it's along political lines and party lines that people are reacting a certain way. Yeah. Uh, but there's one idea of like, oh, are we on the precipice of World War III? Um yeah. Is there a, the ability for a large group of people to get together and perform some type of a ritual or spell to like reverse these really large scale global issues? I don't know. It's never been done. They certainly, uh, I forget the man's name, who did a bunch of ritual during World War II to stop Hitler. Oh. Um, that worked theoretically. Uh, he actually lived upstate and you can go visit his house and, and see that. He was a contemporary of Crowley's, but I, for the oh, okay. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Uh, who did a bunch of ritual to like stop Hitler. And I mean, Hitler was stopped. So thank you. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know that there's enough committed people who would all have the same idea about that kind of thing to do it. I mean, <laughs> like 
When you think about large-scale magic, uh, as someone who does ritual magic here in Brooklyn, the first thing I start thinking of is scheduling. Getting, you know, X hundreds of people in one room to agree to do one type of working, to all share one religious belief, that's going to be hard. Um, so maybe. I don't know. Um, but I, for one, am enjoying my apocalypse. You are? Yes. There's air conditioning. There's Wi-Fi. I mean... Yeah, that's true. I, I really... Uh, so again, back so to So you're not I a believe. pessimist. Uh, what, did, what does Russ say in True Detective? He's like, I'm a realist, but I guess in philosophical terms, I'm a pessimist. Uh-huh. Because I'm bad at parties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and for me, what that means is I'm, I'm really comfortable with uh, humans not existing anymore. Again, because I'm, I'm away, my practice is away from all that humans have hierarchy in the world type thing. And so I'm, I'm comfortable with that. And so if that's what we do to ourselves, like I've made peace with that. I'm not going to miss the Notre Dame. I am going to miss all the forests, though. I care a lot about that. I don't think it's our place to be wrecking that shit. But Do you think that you will live on in another form in a next life? or? A- you know, I get asked that question a lot. And I think that we should leave a little mystery. And so I don't try to answer that question. Okay. I really am excited to cross that bridge when I get to it. See, wow, okay. Yeah. Whatever happens when I die, I'm really cool with it. I mean, it's not like I have a choice, right? Yeah, I vacillate on that between that mindset and being completely terrified. Sure, like, depending the void on the is day. terrifying. Yeah. The void of not knowing is terrifying, right? But I, I've always been someone who is filled with a lot of lapel du vide. Do you know that term? It's French. No. Lapel du vide is the call of the void, and it's what happens when you like stand in front of the ocean and you just want to go. Well, okay. you know, Or when you're on a highway and you just want to drive. Or certain people, when they're on the edge of a big building and they're like, I, I know I'll die if I jump, but something in me wants to jump. That's the call of the void. And I have a lot of that um, in me, and I'm very familiar with that. And so when I think about what lies after life, that's another void that I'm called to. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Like, when I get there, it'll be what it is. It's not like I have a choice. Death is structured in. It's not like I have an option to live forever. And I don't feel comforted by fantasies that I will. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'd rather just deal with it when we get there, you know? My father passed a few years ago, and I watched him get really comfortable with it before he passed. And I really feel like that's the only dignified way to do it. Sorry, just, that got dark really No. <laughs> Where I'm like, yeah, yeah, oblivion, let's go. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. Um, so then, okay, let me get to the, like, uh, political acts and sure. activism. Yeah. Um, I think I'm correct in thinking that maybe it was your business partner or the shop as a whole, there was some work. My when, business partner did a big hex on Brett Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh, that was yeah. it, yeah. Um, I mean, not something I ever would have done. Um, and we had done Trump hexes before, and they had never received that kind of public outrage. Um, but for some reason, everyone really wants to protect Kavanaugh because he's going to protect all the little unborn babies uh, or something like that. And I, I don't know why that one blew up, um, but it did. Uh, and I don't think we'll ever do it again because of the amount of death threats we received. But it was neat. Um, Wait a and- second. Let me... Oh, from, yeah. from who, like, like oh, anonymously? Um, we would have like the Proud Boys call us a bunch and be like, yeah, we're going to bring baseball bats to the ritual and we're going to knock your heads off your body. And I'm on the phone with them and I'm like, my personal head? Off my personal body? Like, like on the phone line right here. Right on the phone. 
right up there. Whoa. And they'd be like, we're going to brick your windows. We had religious organizations in Brooklyn throw holy oil all over our windows. We'd have them come in, like, in front of customers, fall on the floor and start speaking in tongues. And it was it was a rough few months. Uh, we still get hate mail once in a while. Um, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not like, that is wild. Yeah. Yeah, people were really upset that we would hex Brett Kavanaugh. Um, <laughs> we actually had, there was a mega church in Texas with 10,000 members that... Uh, did a ritual at the same time as ours to protect Brett Kavanaugh. Um, so that was weird. Uh, have, but, you, have you yeah. written about this? That is fascinating. Yeah, we had fucking Reuters in here interviewing me. And I, if you watch the interview, I'm just like shaking and nervous and being like, I just hope nothing goes wrong tonight. <laughs> Whoa. And so I managed our security team from outside. Uh, and we had a lot of help from like clinic escorts and other people like that who were helping people get up to and from safely. Um, we had dudes out there with like, what's the the shofar, like trying to make as much noise so the people in here couldn't hear. I the don't ritual. know that. Uh, you know the the like devout Catholics who blow on the goat horn, and it makes that like really intense. I don't know this. Oh yeah, go home Whoa. and Google the shofar. It is very loud. Um, wow. But yeah, it was it was intense, um, and I think that rituals like that. Are, are nice and are accessible for even non-occultists because it's an act of community healing and it's an act, it's a vessel to hold justified rage. And so for, for even the non-occultists listening, you know, we were talking earlier about the book that you had read, which is ritual can help you heal, you know, dark parts of your brain. Um, we're not permitted, especially, you know, women, queer folks, um, black folks are not permitted, you know, containers for justified rage. And so we were able to do that mm. for 60 people. And I think that's really important work. You wow. know, even if you're just looking at it from the psychological point, even if you don't believe we have the power to hex anyone. Right, it's a release. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's ritual to heal the psychological shadow. Wow. There's value here for, for any level of belief and any you know, you know, entry point to the practice, for sure. Wow. And so we're in the, the you're in the room where it happens the workshop space too, yeah. right? And so I also do full moon rituals rituals here every month. Um, we also had a market, and that's what's written on the walls. Um, well, what is a, a full moon ritual? Um, so that's mostly a community event that I do. Um, it's a chance for people who are interested in this stuff uh, to watch it happen practically. And so if you want to come and see someone lead an immersive ritual and be a part of it, that's your entry point. It's not necessarily work I would do for myself at home. Uh, that would be much spookier. Uh, and it's not necessarily devotional in any way. Um, so I try to make it really accessible. But we usually do some sort of like immersive narrative that we all engage with. It's not, it's, it's above the level of a guided meditation, but below bloodletting and ritual bondage. <laughs> Whoa. That's sort of where I put it. Although last time, you know, I asked everyone in the group, I was like, oh, would you guys be cool if I like did a little, if, if blood was involved in a small way and I let you guys know in advance, if I had to like take a drop of blood from my hand, would everyone be okay with that? And everyone was like, oh yeah, we're cool with that. And I was just like, weird, didn't expect that. Okay, neat. Um, Is that... Similar to when we talked about sacrifice, that's a yeah. I would balancing. use it as a sacrificial thing. So Whoa. certain, if we're working with certain spirits, maybe that's the appropriate thing. Uh, for the last ritual we did, it was the Greco-Roman uh, monolith Hecate, uh, and part of her traditional rituals is you're supposed to like slice your arms open and bleed on her altar, and like Whoa. I wouldn't do that in front of everyone because even I'm freaked out by blood, you know. Um, but 
I, I wanted to be able to do cooler shit. Because uh, when I see a lot of rituals in and around Brooklyn, it's a lot of guided meditation. It's a lot of like, let's burn our intentions. And like, that's valid. But I feel like people should be doing more 201, 301 level stuff. And people should really be experiencing ritual magic. And so I think I'm the only person in the city really doing that. Wow. My, my partner's in um, training to be a yoga instructor. She's just Neat. about done. But they have like full moon yoga nights too. Yeah. Um, like my tiny, very small amount of knowledge about this kind of stuff, but I just, I know like uh, the draw on the tides is uh, especially strong when there's a full moon. What is it about the full moon that I guess... I picked it because that's when most people want to do witchcraft. Oh, uh, if okay. it was my own personal practice, we'd be doing the witchcraft on the half moon because um, that's when the moon is half light, half dark, half yeah, engaged and that's half not. That, that's the liminal space between worlds. That's when... Uh, like, there is no veil between worlds. They all sort of exist concurrently, but that's when access is a little easier. Um, that's when the traffic is is less, you know? Um, so that's what I would do. Again, it's not what I would do for my personal practice, but it's easy to be like, full moon ritual, everyone come out, we'll gather under the full moon. It's, it's poetic, and that is exciting for a lot of people. Uh, and poetry can be a way for us to access subtle knowledge, you know, um, occult information, that sort of thing. Poetry is very, very useful. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mentioned over and over again that like a lot of people's perception of this stuff that we're talking about comes from media. Mm -hmm. um, there's like the trope of like the, the green Wicked Witch of the Rust right, on a broom yeah. and all that. Um, yeah, when we had our Trump hacks, there was Russian news media out front and they shoved a microphone in my face and they said, what does a witch look like? Russian media? Yeah, and I lied to him and I said, no Baba Yaga's here. <laughs> Dude. Okay, wow. <laughs> um, so like I, when I think back to my youth, like um, I, my parents would put on like Bewitched, the old black and white show. Yeah. Um, I was terrified, but also loved The Witches, which I think like was a Roald Dahl book, but it was a movie and she turned the kids into mice. And yeah, yeah. No, I just watched it recently. It's a good one. Okay. Love Angelica Houston. Yeah. So, okay. Live forever. Awesome. <laughs> um, I think I mentioned this earlier, but I recently saw uh, The Witch that came out a couple of years ago. Oh, bless it. All right. Also terrifying for me. Uh, yeah. But can you think of something from media or a film that like gets it closest to right? Sure. Um, True Detective season one. Okay. Uh, did a really, really good job. Um, a really, I mean, look, like if I was left alone in the wastelands of Louisiana post Katrina with no cops and I was fed a steady diet of meth and acid, like I could see as an extent of my religious beliefs, me starting a murder cult. Sure. Um, if I, if I were permitted to completely lose my mind, absolutely. Um, the witch does a pretty good job. Like the, the the New England folktale does a pretty good job. Yeah, um, they actually did a lot of research for that one, and you know, uh, not to spoil it for anyone, but in the end, when all that chanting is happening, that's a real chant that would have just hit America at that time period. It's an Enochian call, uh, which Whoa. is angelic magic from John, John D. Um, so that's neat. Um, I'm trying to think of others, but you know, when we talk about witches in the media, that's sort of like saying, you know, I know what lawyers are like because I've watched Law and Order. Like, yeah. No, okay. You don't. So there's a lot of media representation of of everything that is incorrect. Um, uh, saying that you know what selling meth is like because you've seen Breaking Bad <laughs> is also not true. You know. So uh, media representations of lots of things are going to be not so great. Um, Mitsumar did a pretty good job. 
Yo. (laughs) Okay. I mean, so again, these are all murder movies. And so again, we don't like murder here. I don't like murder at all. Um, But they did a great job of showing group ritual uh, and showing ritual culture. Um, that was pretty neat. We actually did a, a viewing of that here. Uh, really? With, well, it was not like we didn't show it because that's illegal. We did like a and a and mm. like uh, with like Norse pagans who could be like, here's this is accurate. This is not accurate. Uh, and even the Norse pagan dude that we had, Phil English, who was actually one of the old owners of the shop, was like, they took a lot of poetic license, but that's how magic works. And that was really neat. And they created some stuff that was really, really neat. That's not necessarily traditional, but reconstructionist and like was very cool. And, like, we could use that. Do you you have an example from the film? Yeah, some of their runestones that they had pictured were not traditional, but they were poetic um, takings from some of the traditional stuff. And he was like, that's very neat. And, like, we could use that in praxis. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so then also, I mean, we also sort of before recording, I hope this is okay to say, but like mentioned that, like, there's so much information out there that people can just get on their own. So let's say somebody... That's a blessing and a curse in a sense that like uh, no one should really be ignorant nowadays on things because you can Google anything. But at the same time, then there's so much information about things. It's like, well, like what's bullshit? What's not? Um, Yeah. So if someone listens to this conversation and thinks like, wow, this is a great primer for me. Like, where do I go from here? It's unfair for me to be like, pick a book from the shop because... Yeah, they're very no, we get that a lot. specific to specific sure. needs. Um, but well, where can someone go from here? I guess sure. Um, well, so we're we're really a good resource in that we have lots of different books. Uh, the most common question I get is, "I'm new. I want to get into this. Where do I start?" And so I usually ask people, "Okay, what are you into? Like, when you see yourself doing this, what calls to you? Are you interested in doing rituals? Are you interested in putting a spell on your boyfriend? Are you interested in learning more about plants? Are you interested in astrology or tarot? Like, what calls you to this? When you see yourself doing witchcraft, what are you doing? And I can give you a really good intro book on that. Okay. Uh, and you should also learn about all the traditions that there are, like, so that you can know what you believe. Um, there's a really good book from Lon Milo Duquette, uh, who's one of the caretakers for Crowley's estate, uh, called Homemade Magic. Um, it's a blue cover. It's, it's a pretty easy to read book. He's got a really easy and digestible writing style. It talks you through figuring out what you believe. It talks you through self-initiation and creating uh, a basic set of magical tools. And so it's non-dogmatic. It's non-prescriptive. It doesn't say this is how it works. It says, here's some technology. Go play with it. And I really like that. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Thank yeah. you. Here's some simple stuff I can teach you. Now go play with it and see if it changes your mind about anything. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't think people should start with like Wicca or dogmatic traditions. I don't think you should start somewhere where you have to have certain beliefs. Uh, I think you should explore. Uh, mythology is also a really cool way to get into witchcraft by reading folktales. Um, that's a great way to get started. Cool. And then I would imagine, so we're like on the... Bushwick, East Williamsburg border here. We're on the Bushwick-Williamsburg border, yeah. Flushing Avenue is supposed to be the border. I call this Bushwick, though. Cool. So anyone, I guess, could come in and also pick your brain? Is that yeah, stressful? Over the counter. Is that- no, 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 that's fine. Uh, about books, absolutely. Uh, people can also email for book recommendations, and I'll, I'll answer those, too. Uh, a lot of those books that we talked about are on our online store. Um, the only thing I don't do over the counter is, like, spell work consultations. So if you come in and you say, I want to curse my landlord, I'm going to be like, cool, book a session with someone. Yeah. Because that's, like, we want to get into the details, and I, I don't have time for that over the counter. Well, that's... I think that's fair. I think that's also really cool of you, because you could just be like, well, here's this candle, buy that. But um, like, Yeah, no, we're definitely not trying to upsell people here. Yeah. Um, 
at least I'm, I mean, I, I don't think anyone here is. Um, I just want people to have good informed like choices and strong information. Like I want to do better occult education than maybe the old guard of occultism did. Because when we look back at older generations through the 80s and 90s and 70s, there was a lot of key holding and there was a lot of, if you don't know what this is, then you shouldn't be here. And you know, everyone has that idea of going into an occult shop and being cold shouldered. And I want this place to be really welcoming and I want this to be a place where people can learn. I am a huge fucking nerd and that shit is important to me. You know what would be cool? What? Um, you know those like master classes like I'm Martin Scorsese and I'm going to teach you about directing yeah they were, that would be really cool to My do business one. partner's doing a 10 week witch school whoa uh, and so it's from their perspective they're really into like uh, hoodoo and traditional folk magic and catholic folk magic and so that's their thing but the class is really comprehensive um, I'm teaching a magic and medicine uh, four week intensive and then I do a lot of one off classes on like 101 scrying or 101 tarot or you know different things uh, altar making and those are things that I I'm interested in doing. Uh, I'm not going to do a 10-week course because that's too much of my time. Wow. But yeah, we do have those here. Um, and our big thing for this year is to start doing online classes. Cool. Yeah. I had one thing from my notes here, which I'm not even sure, reading, yeah. that I forgot and likely will seem sensational, but I have to ask. Maybe it's from all the media frenzy from the Kavanaugh stuff, but were you on InfoWars? Yeah. I was. Like, and I have, yeah, and they got a really cute thing of me, like, cutely waving to the crowd like Miss America, yeah. Were they slandering you? Or? Uh, I think they were making fun of us, yeah. Okay. Uh, everyone in the comments was just like, wow, these girls think they're witches. They're dumb. And I'm like, yep, you think you're a revolutionary because you own a gun or because you thought about owning a gun. So right. that's nice. You also but, think there's lizard people in government, which may or may not yeah. be true. But So we all have our weird shit <laughs> right. that we believe, and, like... You guys think Sandy Hook didn't happen. Right. So, like, you know, gargle my nuts. Um, wow, man. Yeah. Yeah, I was on InfoWars. I mean, not for an interview. It's just, like, they just passively filmed me talking to people and closing a door. So, neat. Wow. <laughs> it's not a very cool video. But everyone in the comments did say I looked nice. Because they're basement-dwelling troglodytes. Right, I was just going to say. have a human girl before. Um. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, how can we send people either in your direction, like in the internet and all that, or the shop? Like, how can people contact you guys, find out more? Um, people can contact us on catlandbooks.com. Best way to stay informed is to follow us on Instagram. Um, that's where we post the most. Uh, my Instagram is St. Jane. It's saint.jayne. Uh, I don't post too often, uh, but when I do, it's it's cool. Um, I also run Venefica Magazine, which is Catland Books' house magazine. I publish that. Um, or Catland publishes it. I edit it. And so that's Venefica Mag on Instagram. Um, Instagram's sort of the that's place like a for that. Yeah. physical format. Yeah, and so okay. that's a tangible magazine. We produce it with no carbon footprint, and it's it's cool as hell. Check that out. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, thank you, Melissa. Of course. Um, appreciate I, it. I get that, like, I had zero, you had zero time to get to know me, <laughs> and I know a lot about you, which yes. might be weird and creepy. Uh, so I appreciate the honesty and the space and the hospitality. Thank you. Of course. That is a wrap on episode number 139 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you to Melissa for joining me and thank you to Catland Books for hosting this conversation. Thank you to all of you Voyagers as always for tuning in and for all the things that you do to keep these episodes coming. Got a bunch of stuff piling up here over the next couple of days and couple of weeks. So tune in in just a couple of days and we'll have some new episodes for you. Thanks, everyone. 
Hope the year is off to a great start for you. As always, please take care of each other. I will catch you next time.